Today, we're taking you on a literary journey into the heart of New Orleans, the city famous for its vibrant culture, tantalizing cuisine, and haunting tales. Our guest is none other than Ryan Winter, an exceptional talent in the realm of queer horror. Ryan's work masterfully captures the intersection of horror and sexuality, transforming fear into a powerful exploration of identity and desire. His tales, inspired by the rich and diverse culture of New Orleans, are not only about scares, they delve into the complexities of the human experience, the fears we hide, the desires we nurture, and the secrets we keep. Today, we'll be unpacking his inspirations, discussing his unique writing style, and learning about his journey as a writer in the queer horror genre. You're about to step into a world where horror meets sex, diversity, and the unmistakable flavor of New Orleans. It's time to grab your favorite beverage, sit in your favorite chair, and get ready for this week's episode of Spiritual AF Sundays. Haunting Tales, delving into queer horror with a New Orleans twist with guest Ryan Winter. You're listening to Spiritual AF Sundays, created and hosted by The Mystic Geek. If you're looking to explore intriguing questions about the meaning of life and our place in the universe, then you're in the right spot. We dive into topics often discussed as sound bites on social media and take a deeper look. Whether it's woo topics like astrology and mysticism, or seemingly mundane matters like technology and politics, we cover it all. We explore our own thoughts and beliefs, talk to experts, and uncover hidden meanings. These fascinating areas of exploration can help us question ourselves and better understand our world. Ready to grow and explore in your spiritual journey? We're glad you can join us. It's time to start your week off by being spiritual AF. Welcome back, listeners. Today we have Ryan Winter with us to discuss fiction writing, queer culture, sexuality, and all of those things intertwined. Glad to have you here today, Ryan. Thank you, Jessica. Super glad to be here. Why don't you tell us a little bit more about yourself? Let's see. Where do you start? At the beginning, right? I'm actually from a small town south of New Orleans in the Cajun country, as they say. I grew up around a very colorful family, very colorful area. It's isolated from the world in a way, so it has its own culture, its own language, its own folklore. And I grew up with a lot of that. My family are big talkers, and they talk, and they're animated, and the more they drink, the more interesting they get, and it's crazy. But that's, I think, is probably the seeds of why I think I became a writer, because it started with them, (laughs) listening to them tell stories and talk about the area and folklore and things that they know. That's a very colorful place, so my family's equally colorful. They're very loud. They're very boisterous. I have aunts that, aha, they laugh so loud. It's hilarious. I always have an image of one of my aunts sitting over an oyster sack, just shucking these oysters and eating and then swigging a beer. When I lived in Tennessee and I was telling stories about this and my friends were like, what? It's this weird shock because their family is very straight laced. A lot of them were church going, things like that. My family went to church, but it wasn't like their lifestyle. You know, they love to talk and they love to laugh. And they're very friendly people. They always say Louisiana has the friendliest people. And certainly they would give you the shirt off their back. It's a really fun area. And not to mention all the stories that come out of there, the folklore and all these interesting, I guess, histories and things like that. Because Louisiana has a very colorful history. It's very different than a lot of states. We have, I don't know if they do this in other states, but we have, we had a course called Louisiana History. 
in high school and it was so full, I think they had to break it off into another class because there's so much that happened just in that area with the French influence, the Spanish influence, the British influence, the African influence, like all these crazy mixes and all these histories and all the people that wanted to take over that area. So all of that translates down to us into these great pirate stories and <laughs> shady dealings and, you know, werewolves, all, all kinds of stuff that come from places like Spain and France and Africa. So yeah, it's crazy. Yeah, I don't think any school that does a history of their respective state has to break it down into three parts. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, wow. it, it, yeah, it was a very fun class, honestly. And the teacher I had, I remember, she she was the good old Southern gal. She talked very genteel, but piss her off. And that's a whole nother story. All again. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I that? So let's pivot over here talk a little bit more about you. You mentioned being an author. What got you into writing? Oh, gosh. It's like a domino effect, honestly, because it's, it was one thing that built on another onto another. Going from starting with my family, I remember when I was around four or five. It was an insane memory. It's horrible. It's horrible sometimes. It gives me headaches. But when I was younger, my aunt, Darla, who lived on the property we did down in this town I lived in south of New Orleans called Dulac, cute little Cajun town. And we were allowed to go over to her house and watch anything we wanted. It could have been horror films, which I did. I watched tons of horror films. And I remember watching Friday the 13th. I remember watching the Amityville Horror. As long as we sat together, we were allowed to watch this. She didn't mind. And I had two older cousins as long as we did this. So I think that's where the idea of horror might have started. Later on, there's two, I think, two pivotal moments that really made me understand what writing is. And of course, my horror interest grew from there. And my poor mother, <laughs> I guess she tried to handle this as best as she could. She had handed me one day the, the great children's illustrated copy of Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde. Do you remember those books? The old great illustrated? Oh my God, the children. Oh my God. I still have that copy. And I guess she was trying to indulge me to go do something a little less Stephen Kingy. <laughs> so what she inadvertently did though was really jump started because that was the first time I think the written word it showed me how powerful it was because that book scared the shit out of me there was things in there that I could still remember going whoa and of course movies have a bigger stimulant being that it's right there in front of you but to have it jump off the page like that that was it I was like that's crazy and right around that time this is probably around the third grade yeah I'm doing this all as a kid it's crazy at around third grade, we had an assignment to get in a group and do these stories and write these stories. And at the time, I was a shy kid. And it's <laughs> my friends laugh. And I'm like, no, I really was. And I didn't want to be in a group for some reason. I just didn't. I felt uncomfortable being with all these collaborators and stuff. And I did my own. My teacher was intrigued. She said, okay, okay, okay. You can go on your own. And I wrote this story. And I remember this guy who would bully me on the playground. And sure enough, he's in my class, of course. And... We got our assignment back and our teacher, she was like, here's all the stories. They're, they're fantastic. It's great. But there's one that I really like that I want to read. And I don't know why. I just felt correct. And she said, Ryan, little Ryan has written a story. I'm like, oh, and I'm sinking down in my seat. And all I can think is the bully, like watching the back of my head. I'm like, oh, I'm going to get, I'm going to get torn up. And she read the story. And at the end, the whole class clapped. And I was like, oh, <laughs> 
And I think that was another moment where I figured, wow, I wrote something and it, it moved somebody. And later on the playground, sure enough, I'm in my, oh, I'm so excited. Here comes the bully and I see him coming dart right for me. I'm like, oh God, here it comes. And he just walked up to me and he just whispered, he goes, loved your story, dude. And that was it. And he never messed with Whoa. me again. <laughs> yeah, it was crazy. So he was my friend from then on. And so ever since then, I was, you know, known as the writer. Oh, don't mess with him. He's the writer. And that, that lasted until high school. So that was kind of like, I think, the two pivotal moments that made me want to write. And then from there, like I said, it dominoed because after that, I was reading a lot. And then I discovered a lot of horror writers. And again, there was another moment, I think, what really pushed it all the way. I wanted my first adult horror novel. And my mother, of course, was like, oh, no, no, no. You can't. And of course, what book did I want? Pet Cemetery by Stephen King. And that was, oh, no, 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 no. So this was around my 11th birthday and I was turning 12. And I said, look, I want this more than anything in the world. Come on, man. This is going to make me big. And my mom was like, no, no, no. So my Matt Justine calling Just and Just was going to take me out that night to my birthday dinner and all that. And she says, well, you know what? If Ain't Just will let you have it, then I guess you could. I think she felt because she was more straight laced because with Ain't Just, no is no. And sure enough, we went to dinner. She took me to the mall in town right after. And I went straight for B. Dalton Booksellers. And I'm aging myself here. If you remember the little B. Dalton Booksellers. Oh, my God. Remember those in the mall? Yeah, we've just both, we have both aged ourselves. It's great. I know. Then it was the other one was Walden Books, but I loved B. Dalton. For some reason, they didn't yeah. carry up. I don't know why. But sure enough, I went straight for that section. I knew exactly where King was. <laughs> and I went there and she's following me around the store. And I remember I pointed, I said, that's what I want. And she looked at me and she said, really? I said, oh, yeah, and just this exactly. And she said, okay, get it. That was it. <laughs> Victory! I was like, finally, I brought it home and I could see my mom going. And, and then from then on, the idea of just writing, it just, I'm reading now the adult stuff and it's like, this is what I want to do, you know? And of course that book too, it scared the shit out of me. <laughs> but I loved it. That's what I wanted. And then from there, it went from Stephen King to Anne Rice to Clyde Barker. So that's how that worked. <laughs> Got it. So taking in a lot of different stuff from various authors there. As time went on, how did you see your own writing evolve? Oh, gosh. In the beginning, a lot of writers tend to copy our idols, you know, and try to mimic what they do. And certainly I did that with King and Rice and all that. But after a while, the more you read, the more you say, oh, I'd rather say this different. Oh, no, I would say this different. And then it starts to evolve itself. After high school, I moved into the city. I moved into New Orleans with it's only 40, 45 minutes away. And once I got there, I think that's when my writing really exploded. And I found, I think, what would be my voice because this, that, that place is so colorful. I mean, I don't even have to say it. If you know anything about New Orleans, I mean, it, it's an exciting place. And it's not that I met many writers per se. I met readers. And they would say, you know, someone should write about this. Someone should write about that. And being someone who loved horror. Oh my gosh, that place has this crazy history of shady shenanigans and, and ghost stories and things like that. That city had a profound effect on me because I was also meeting a lot of colorful people, a lot of different walks of life, very different from the small town I was from, and a lot of different from a lot of cities I was visiting that seemed to be so homogenized. And New Orleans is anything but the state itself. It has this huge history with all these interesting stories behind it. So 
that was a big deal for me. So I think my writing was influenced by New Orleans history, the things about the piracy and the murders and all these crazy things that happened over the years, psychopaths, and not to mention on every corner, there was a bookstore with different mm -hmm. stuff. So all that influenced the evolution of my writing. Absolutely. I think that's a very common progression where regardless of what industry we're in, if we're a creator of sorts, we have the people we idolize. We start off building our stuff to be more like theirs and then we figure out our own flavor. So thank you for sharing that. Yeah, absolutely. And I think you have a book that recently came out. My book, Ravish, yeah. Yeah, what motivated you to write that novel? This is a creepy story. <laughs> I had left New Orleans a couple years ago, unfortunately came out of a very bad relationship, but been in for a couple years and was not doing very well. Right about that time, my mom developed stage four breast cancer. And I had to go down to her town, which is outside of New Orleans, went down there to take care of her for a little while. And of course, the stress of it, living there with her and my grandmother, because they lived in the same house and taking care of both of these ailing ladies that I love so much. I love my mother to death and to see her do this. So the stress of it was, it was pretty heavy. I wasn't sleeping very well. I was incredibly lonely. So one day I remember just sleeping really terrible. And I dreamt of this, I'm sitting in this bed and I can remember it. Oh, I still can remember it. It's almost like a hospital bed. Those old time, you know, with the wrought iron and all. And I was sitting in one. I can't remember exactly what the room was meant to be. It wasn't my bedroom at the time. And I remember looking in the corner and the door creaking open. And I remember looking that way. And when I looked back to the front of the bed, there was a man standing there in the dark. And all I could remember was that he had purple eyes. And I remember asking him, why do you have purple eyes? Like, why do you look the way you do? And something like that in my dream, you know how it is. And I just remember him just... <laughs> And it was the creepiest thing. And I was, I remember being scared to death and I felt pinned. And I don't know why, but there was a, some sexual connection to it. It's hard to explain being in dream. God knows where it comes from. And I woke up and I was just petrified. I hadn't thought about it in probably about two weeks. Well, sure enough, the purple eyed man visited me again. I never had a recurring dream before. I really haven't. He specifically, here we were in this bed again. And he was standing in the shadow and then he came forward. And I thought, Oh, what a beautiful person. But he has purple eyes. And I kept saying, why do you have purple eyes? He goes, they're not, they're green. I'm like, no, they're purple. I see them. And when he walked toward me, I saw the shimmer in his eyes and they changed colors. And I'm like, oh my God, they are green, but they're purple. And I remember him hovering over me and he was on top of me, penning me down. And again, it was like scared, but some weird sexual chemistry here with the entity. And so, of course, when I woke up, that was it. I wrote it down. And that's what Ravish is about. It's about the gay incubus. You have the incubus and the succubus, but I never figured out what is the gay incubus. So I made up a term called the virilium based off the root word virum. That's where it sprang from. <laughs> that's where the story came from. And I called my character, my incubus, I called him Calyx. That's who that was. I think I was visited by this character I was meant to write. And that's how that started. You bring up a very interesting phenomenon that I've seen also. When we look at, for instance, horror movies, like the revisioning of it. Oh, yeah. And the memes and commentary that came out of that from <laughs> middle-aged white women 
<laughs> wanting to be ravished by Pennywise. I'm like crazy, right? Yeah, it's crazy. It's like the because survival and sexuality are both like on that base level right. when it comes to spirituality. That sometimes fear being turned on by fear is a thing. It's like you don't oh, yeah. realize it until you see it. Because but it's because that very primal element. It's fascinating to see that in culture and it's amazing to see that actually in a book i remember when a couple years after the movie hellraiser came out in the 80s i remember a couple of like adult women telling like oh i would have that pinhead's baby i'm like (laughs) why he's ravaging me and it's funny because okay so here's the thing about ravish i guess maybe i supplanted that in my head as well at some point because basically the character he survives by basically fucking gay men to death and that's how he feeds, you know? So I guess there is something to it. And every time I try to des- tell the story and describe it to people, they're like, oh, wow, that's hot. I'm like, no, that's not hot. That's crazy. <laughs> of course, I throw in there. He gives you the world's best orgasm right before he, he kills you. You, know, you don't realize you're doing it because you're having this crazy sexual experience. And he's literally like sucking your life form out. And every time I say that to someone, oh, that's hot. I'm like, oh, my. It's... <laughs> Not it's even thinking about this further, it even shows up in gamer culture. And there's a game out there called like the Mass Effect series, which is basically space opera. And one of the races in there, the Asari, they can go dark side where they're basically their sex is like taking the life force out of someone else or frying them that way. And you can actually have it where your character seduces oh they're called the Ardat Yashi. You can have like an Ardat Yashi in your party. I'm not gonna spoil how to do it. People can Google it. But you can flirt with them and try to do it and it's okay, you kill your character through sex in the game. It's, it's a game uh, uh, over uh, like, oh dang. People will actually do this. People are actually into this. It's why I somebody introduced me to what the, I guess they call vor porn. I was like, what? People are into this? Oh my yes. God. That's crazy. I'm like, that's why yeah. I've never heard of that until somebody, a friend of mine, of course, so a younger person, a friend of mine is, I think he's about 23, 24. And he's like, you ever heard of that? I'm like, oh. that was not a thing when I was growing up. Are you kidding me? And for those who are listening in on this, we could go down that rabbit hole, but <laughs> Googling it. I see all of this, like the sexualization of things that are not typically seen as sexual yeah like that are more like danger signs i feel like this is a great segue into the concept of queerness and that's not just say the queerness equals horror but it's more queerness equals let's take these things outside of the box that we normally put them in sure sure and make it different whether that different is funny creepy what have you but it's basically saying we're just going to throw the norms out the window. The exploring, man. That's what I love about queer culture. It's one of the few groups that will just explore, will take norms. I'm like, nah, I think that's the basis of it all. You know, the culture. Yeah. I mean, how else would you define it other than say the norms don't exist? We're experimenting. I mean, if there's a textbook version to say what queer is, it's basically an umbrella term for all these subgroups. Other than hetero, I like it because it's rebellious and it's fun. And it says it doesn't have to be that way. Here's a different way. That's what I love about queer culture. And you can see the contribution with that. Oh, my God. Through music, through art, through movies, books, 
sculptures, paintings, and all that. And I love that, the diversity of it. To stay away from what is the white picket fence thing. I never wanted to be that. I love the fact that there's pride because that's exactly what it feels like. You know what? I'm glad I don't do that. I feel better that I don't do that. And I think that's what all that's about and exploring and things like that. What other group is doing that? That's fantastic. Yeah. I started getting into RuPaul. So <laughs> binge watching. If you're tiptoeing into it, looking into like drag culture or drag entertainment is a great way of it because drag in and of itself is exploring our concepts of gender That's right. or gender presentation. That's right. And it can be done either very artistically and beautifully, like someone trying to show what a showgirl would look like or like a Broadway mm-hmm. performer. Those Beautiful sorts of cabarets things. and all that. I love cabarets. That. Yeah, I love yeah, that. Cabarets. And then there's the experimental art. Of course. So I'm going to date myself in this recording. I'm watching season eight (laughs) all-stars and I'm a big fan of Jimbo. Jimbo is the drag clown and she comes with all these very experimental types of artwork that harken back to like old school drag or, Hey, let's like, let's take reveal and make it funny. So let's do Adam and Eve as the same person. So it's the casting of his face on the back of his head. He's sewing up everything to look like Adam is walking backwards and you're thinking that this is just someone with a goofy mask. And then you turn around and there's Jimbo with a giant cherry right in the crotch area that the snake pops out of. And it just, it's the comicalness of it. There is like a little bit of eroticism, but it's more of the, we're just going to make fun of stuff. Oh, yeah, absolutely. the norm. So it's, there's it's this, yeah. Great satire, man, on life and stuff. And who better oh, else than... The queer culture to do it, of course. We're the ones that have been shunned and ostracized. And now we're like, okay, this is what we're going to do now, you know? So, and I love that. I love that. I Sadly, I'm not up to date on RuPaul. I remember when it came out and all that. And I remember, of course, since the 90s when RuPaul was around, things like Mm -hmm. that. And I have a friend of mine, I think she's about, she's in her 20s. And she says, oh my God, what do you think of Bianca? I said, here's the thing about Bianca Del Rio. I remember Bianca when she would do the shows in New Orleans. When she wasn't in New York, before she went to New York, and this is way before Hurricane Katrina, and we would go to the local gay club there in the French Quarter, and she would be there every Monday night with a small crowd, you know, a but, but good, very loyal fan base, because certainly I would go. And she was hilarious, and it was free. And now, to look at her now, look how big. I mean, that's fantastic. I'd met her a couple times. A lot of my friends knew her personally and things like that. And when she told me that she had made her own clothes and did all these things, I'm like, girl, go ahead. That's fantastic. <laughs> and once she left for New York, I'm like, oh, that's it. There's going to be something big happening there. So it's neat to see things like that. I've been around drag shows. I've seen them. I'm, I'll be 45 in a couple of weeks. And I started going to the clubs around 2021 in New Orleans. And I've seen drag shows all the time since then. Decades of watching different types of performers. I have a lot of trans friends that do that drag kings and drag queens and all, and all those and just watching all this beautiful art and how they make their clothes and how they dance and sing and you know that's fantastic that's what's great. that's why you should be proud <laughs> yeah it's all the work you put in or the effort Absolutely. and just the bravery the bravery of Absolutely. being out there is huge go out there and do it exactly that and these people come from all walks of life the diversity is fantastic that's another thing i love culture that diversity fantastic and to come from families that told them no way in hell or tell them you can't do that or you shouldn't do that or, oh, no, 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 no. And for them to say, you know what, 
I'm going to do this. That's fantastic. Mm -hmm. To break out of that, to say, this is who I am. This is what I do. I have to count my blessings. I come from a great family. My mom, my dad, they didn't even bat an eye. They didn't care. And they were hippies and pot smokers. They have the free love movement. That's all them. They listen to rock and roll music. My grandmother listened to Prince. But to hear horror stories of people going through, you know, just being shot out or beaten over the head with the Bible. And every time I hear that, I'm like, oh, my God. And just to watch them do what they do and come from that. Go from zero to, to accelerating yeah. to 5,000. I love it. Yeah, those stories, those background stories, they're tragic and they're heartbreaking mm -hmm. and it's amazing to see people rise from that and still come out to do yeah. amazing things to be yeah. truly themselves and that is something to cherish and protect at all costs yeah. absolutely absolutely that is our credo man that is our that's our history right there the evolution mm -hmm. of queer culture going from shoved into the closet with the door sealed and then in the 80s where a leg kind of came out and now in the 90s going, ah, fuck it. That's it. And I love watching that. happen. I love being part of that time in the 90s. And being a kid in the 80s, I kind of knew of it. I had one or two relatives that were gay and I remember it being hushed, but they talked about it. But and just to watch it explode in the late 90s and how it just kept on from there, I love it. And we still have a lot more to go. There's still, oh, more, yeah. still more to do. There's a lot to do, especially when queer culture is starting to seep more and more into the general public, mm -hmm. we're seeing a lot of backlash on it. We're not going to go into that because it Always. changes so much. <laughs> yeah. It changes so much. So it's, I don't want to date this episode too much on here, uh, but yeah. And Jessica, we've always dealt with that. Yeah. It was uh, every time, every generation. I mean, those in the forties, mm -hmm. those in the fifties, those in the sixties, seventies, the eighties, it was always something we always had to fight against. It's part of what it is. Thing is, we don't. When you're dealing with us being on the cusp of getting people to start making on a massive level, okay, this rat race followed by marriage and children, all this stuff in a society that's not as supportive of it, people are starting to wake up and realize maybe this isn't for me. And when you start having people see themselves as individuals rather than as cogs in a machine that greater society is oh crap <laughs> we're about to fall apart so i could see why we're seeing so much pushback nowadays is because we're hitting that and we're not quite a critical mass yet but i feel like we are we're getting close to it yeah now now that it, the cat's out of the bag you have all these opportunities to teach whereas we have things like gay bars and community centers and pride festivals and things like that so that's actually, especially now, is a good time for that to be able to educate what's going on. Because back then, they didn't have any of those things. I didn't have those things growing up. Mm -hmm. To be able to say, how do I explain this to somebody? Oh, now I can. Now, because it's a little bit more open now, generally it is, with, especially now that gay marriage has passed and all that. But of course, we're still fighting that. But generally, this was not something you saw back then. So I think this is a great time for that kind of thing, individualism and stuff like that, to explore and of course, there's going to be pushback because it's new. Every time there's something new, it's always, I don't want to do that. Let's stay the way we are. No, the world changes, people. The world evolves. You have to evolve, too. And that's what's cool about this new generation is they're doing that. They're pushing. Them. Yeah. This is not how we want things to be now. And some of these older guys, especially like in politics and the government, that's a whole nother thing altogether. But you have to understand those generations are dying off. And here comes Z and whoever's next. They're going to. They're going to change things. And you just kind of have to go with that, man. Or, mm -hmm. And I think it all starts with educating yourself. 
you know, finding out why, why did these people do what they do? Why do they feel they have to do this? Oh, okay. And it's like, oh, okay, now I get it, you know, but besides it's also, you know, it's my deal, not yours. So get out. <laughs> why should you care what I do? I'll let you do what you want to do. Yeah, I like that element of queer culture. It's I do my thing, you do your thing. It may be different, but as long as no one's hurting anyone and as long as we're all consenting, it's That's cool. how it's always been. That's how it started from the beginning. That was the point of it all. I have a friend of mine. He's an older gentleman. There was a bar, well, it's still there, in New Orleans. When I had first started hanging out in the 20s, there was one that catered to an older gentleman. I loved going in there because they told the most interesting shit about what it was like back then. And... I remember a friend of mine, he's sadly is gone, cancer. He had told me the story, his name was Randy, and he told me how the horror stories of having to come from a small town in Mississippi, of all places, and having to hide in these back alleys and things like that, and being forced into a marriage with a woman. And I was like, God, I can't even imagine what that would be like. How painful yeah. to be forced to love someone that you don't, and then told, oh, well, you got to have kids now, because in his generation, that's what they did. And... Well, he would tell me these horrible things when some of his friends would try to come out, how they, some of them were arrested. They were arrested. So, uh, he had a friend that was burned alive. That's insane because he wanted to love somebody. I mean, that, that, and not saying that doesn't happen now, but it's definitely a little bit more open. Of course, there's always going to be someone who's going to hate some group. Look at it. It just never stops depending on whatever group you fall, whatever societal group you're in it, you're still going to deal with that kind of that kind of bullshit but back then when it was so rampant and it was okay to do it that's what makes me the most angry is oh it's fine he was gay you can kill him what that's crazy that's crazy looking at what's going on now and how far we've come and i i really wish he was around to have seen gay marriage because he was with his partner for a long time and i'm sure they would have gotten married and it was just it's heartbreaking but just see the evolution change the way it is uh, like I said, we have much more to go, but we've come very far so far. Mm -hmm. And like uh, going back to the original point, back then that was their story. It was just love who you want. You should be able to love who you want without all this BS. And that's what he would always tell me. He said, Brian, he said, whatever you do, you find somebody, love them all they are. And that's beautiful. I love that. Yeah, exactly. All right. So we're talking about queer culture and everything on that. We talked a little bit with your books on the gay incubus how else do you showcase queer culture it's mostly through the characters honestly i try to write these characters true they're based off a lot of people that i know because i i write what i see i try to give these characters flesh and blood and to explain where they come from and their different backgrounds and as we were saying earlier about how they were shunned or ostracized or thrown out. I love to show that. Being in New Orleans, sitting around the clubs, and I always sat there and listened. And like I said, so many different types of people come in and out of those places and just listening to their stories and all that. And I try to translate that over into my book. And my books are, believe me, are no guides for coming out or anything like that, believe me, because they're horror stories. But I, uh, I try to do that through characters to show how also a lot of people, would do, and I always get this all the time. What do gay people do? What do gay, you know, like weird things. Like, what do gay people eat? I'm like, what are you talking about? <laughs> That's crazy. So I'm trying to show them, I guess, in the abnormalcy, there is normalcy. This thing where they're just people like you. They're just trying to do what they do. And I try to get as many different types of people as I can as per the story itself. But uh, Ravish in particular is all about exploring sexuality that we were talking about earlier. And that's one thing about that book I'm proud of because... You know, I'm looking through gay lit today, and I don't think it's nowhere near where it should be. I still feel like it's it only has to be this Danielle Steele 
Romance-esque fantasy, like, oh, the man of my dreams, blah, blah, blah. I'm like, no, come on, man. Come on, man. That's not realistic. Come on. I'm sure you can, but come on. Oh, my gosh. Reminds me of the heterosexual campy novels of, like, the airbrushed dude's chest on there. And when I did my cover, I told my cover, I said, do not make this look like a bodice ripper. I will kill you. I do not want one of these two gay guys because it's a horror story, man. And I, I don't see many, as far as gay lit, I don't see many horror stories. So I'm really trying to push that or, or uh, horror movies or horror books for that matter. The last one I read was by a trans author named River Solomon. And they wrote a book called Sireland. It was so good. And that's probably the closest one I've ever seen as far as what modern horror mixing in with gay lit. And that's what I plan on doing. I'm planning on breaking through that. <laughs> and Ravish certainly goes through that because it's very gothic. It's very romantic. It's very dark. There is definitely some eroticism in it, but it's definitely not the typical book to get you off type. It's definitely not a, a Playgirl magazine or thing like that. It's definitely um, has a flavor and ricey flavor. I love Anne Rice's beginning work when she did a lot of, when she did her Sleeping Beauty books, which is pure pornography. Oh my God. You get four pages in there, man, you'll be hooked. And, uh, but she did it in such a classy and a beautiful way. It wasn't this trashy kind of, you know, which I'm not against, you know, I want to be able to do something a little different, you know, and be able to send it to where it can be broadcast if it became a series or something like that, where it's not too like, ooh, you know, but I mean, you know, then again, who cares? <laughs> yeah. It's like, it's for us to read. Yeah, exactly. There's a story yeah, exactly. behind it. That's it. There's just a story behind it. That's all. It, but yeah. Uh, and, I, and my next book is uh, also a sci-fi, so that's something else I haven't really seen. So I plan on doing that. I'm, it's, a, it's sci-fi themed with gay characters, which incidentally, I never planned. I, it was never my intention to write gay characters. Like I said, they came to me. I didn't go to them. Most of my characters do, as you see the, Mr. Calic, the purple-eyed man, visited me. He's the one that dictated what the story was going to be, not me. <laughs> <laughs> wow, we've been talking for a while, but it feels like time just flies. This has been a great oh, conversation. Oh, no, thank you, Jessica. I appreciate yeah. it, man. Appreciate it. Yeah. So is there anything else you'd like to share with our audience before we go today? It, it, it's always, the same. I think, the ultimate message, man. Peace and love. Peace and love. Go with, go with a reasoning. Go with something that makes you happy and things like that. That's what I would tell people. And that's the same thing with my writing. It's why I do it. Why do you write this? Why do you write that? Because it gives me joy. The world is pretty dark, man. Go out there and see the light. There's a lot of good, too. So Thanks for that. You bet. And where can people find you online? Sadly, I don't have a website because I prefer to talk. To me, it's not as personable. If you go to Ryan Winter fan page on Facebook, that's probably the main one because I tend to interact more with it. Eventually, we'll probably get a website, but I like this one because it's so user-friendly and people can message me so much easier for me to see it. That would probably be the ultimate. The books, my, both of my novels, Wake the Devil, which is about the Axeman murders of 1918 New Orleans, true story, and Ravish. They're both on Amazon right now, so I definitely have an Amazon author's page. You can definitely find them there, too. All right, perfect. Thank you so much for being here. You bet. Thank you, Jessica. That was a fun and insightful conversation. I think Ryan and I could have kept going and turned this into an hour-long episode. As you could tell, we went all over the place. It was so much fun. Let's pivot to what's coming up over the next few weeks. So next Sunday on September 3rd, we are bringing on guest Gabby Morales to talk about healing journeys and different things that she's learned through her own experiences. The following week on September 10th, we're going to bring on Lucy Birdhope 
to talk about mind, body, and spirit alignment. With that, we're going to wrap up this week's episode of Spiritual AF Sundays. And remember, it's okay to love who you love or be into whatever you're into with other consenting adults. Diversity is one of the amazing aspects of human experience. And if you're starting to venture into creative avenues of expression, it's okay to emulate others to a point in the beginning. But awesomeness begins when you start to find your own unique voice and style. With that, let's have a spiritual AF week. Thank you for joining us for Spiritual AF Sundays. This show is hosted by the Mystic Geek, that's me. Got comments or questions from today's episode? You can either email me at jess at themysticgeek.com or send me a voice message at speakpipe.com slash themysticgeek. Don't worry, I'll put the link in the show notes. Help others start off their week with a Spiritual AF Sunday by sharing this episode with them. Also, five-star reviews on Apple Podcasts help spiritual speakers find our show. So do the thing.